so that all of us could, you know, come to God, although we all struggle with various sins and all of us have all sorts of different things in our past, all of us can come to God with a clear conscience before Him because of the power of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. I'm glad that you're here today. I know sometimes getting up on a Sunday, getting the family ready and coming here can be a challenge. I know that firsthand. And I also know, though, the benefit of being here. Oftentimes we look at worship as being for God, and it is. You know, we are offering something together to God, but God knows that we need this. God knows that life is hard. God knows that we struggle, and God knows that we need the encouragement that comes from spending time communicating with Him in prayer, praising Him in song, spending time with good people. We need this, and we definitely need to spend more time together like this. So I'm glad that all of you are here. Uh, if it's your first time here, I know I always see different visitors in the audience every Sunday. We're glad that you're here. hope everybody welcomed you with open arms. It was loving and kind to you. We're not perfect by any sense, but you know what? We do serve a perfect Lord, and we like to help you serve Him too. Before we get into our lesson, let me remind everybody about Vacation Bible School. That's right, kids. Vacation Bible School, August 7th through the 9th. That's a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. We're going to have a whole theme based upon knights and, and armor and castles and dragons and things like that. It's going to be really, really cool as we talk about God's mighty kingdom. So be here August 7th through the 9th at 7 o'clock each night to about 830 it's going to be a lot of fun. It's also going to be a time where we're going to learn a lot about God. And we're going to have classes for preschool through high school. And we'll even have an adult Bible study going on too. So that's coming up here in just a few weeks. I don't know about you though. As a parent, there's times that I'll maybe tell my kids something or ask them to do something. And they respond in a way that I don't like. I'll give you an example. Maybe I'll say, did you clean your room? And they go, yes, of course I cleaned my room. Whoa. Right? How do we usually respond as parents when the kid, maybe they answered the question properly, they said what we wanted them to say, but they said it the wrong way, right? You ever had those kind of situations? We do that. And we'll reply to them like, you watch your tone, right? That's the idea. Well, they said the right thing. Did you clean your room? Yes, I cleaned my room. Okay, watch your tone, right? We use the same idea. It says, okay, it's not just about what you said, but it's about how you said what you said. And this concept of our tone and our attitude and how we say what we say, it matters. It's important. Um, one of the um, big speakers out there on leadership, John Maxwell, once said this. He said, people may hear your words, but they feel your attitude, right? You can say the right thing. You can speak the truth, but say it in a way that people feel totally different. I mean... Um, if my wife comes in and goes, hey, what do you think about this outfit I'm wearing? And I go, oh, yeah, it looks real beautiful. Like my tone, I would never say it with that tone, obviously, but my tone says something different than my words, right? People can hear your words, but they will feel your attitude. So this morning, simply, I think we need to understand that what we say does matter, but also how we say it matters too. Because here's what happens. Oftentimes, how we say something is a reflection of our heart. If one of my children, which I'm sure they would never, ever do, responded with a tone back toward me when I asked them to do something, that's a reflection of their attitude at that time, and that's what gets them in trouble, right? It's not what they said, but it's the attitude of how they said it. We can do the same thing. If we view people negatively, if we view people with contempt, 
with hatred, with judgment, with cruelty, if that's what's in our hearts, when we talk to them, even though we might be speaking the truth and saying the right thing, they can tell how we feel by the tone of our words. How we talk to people is often a reflection of our heart. You'll see this in marriages. You'll see this with employers, employees in the relationship there. You'll see that with parents and children and children and parents, and you'll even see it in the church. How we talk to people is a reflection of our heart. Let's talk about what I mean by that. What about the fact that maybe you're talking to somebody and you don't really care about them? You don't value them, you don't love them, you don't respect them. Maybe you're speaking something that's truthful, maybe you're using the right words, but the fact that you don't care about them, they'll start to pick up on that. They'll start to feel that. If although we're trying to say something encouraging, but really deep down in our heart, we'd rather hurt them, people can sense that. People can tell that. People know whether or not we're genuine or not, right? With kids, oftentimes we'll say, say it like you mean it, but really we want them to mean it, not to just say it like they mean it, right? We need to talk the way that we feel and we need to view people the way that God does. What about what we say about people? Do we really even want to talk to them or would we rather just talk about them behind their back? If that's the case, we got a heart problem and we need to fix that because how we talk to others is a reflection of our heart. And this idea of communication is key to everything in life. You look at any book on marriage, they'll talk about how communication is number one key to having a healthy marriage, right? Communication. It's also the key to having, you know, a good um, career. You know, people that are in management, they go to seminars and read books about how to communicate with your employees because if you don't have healthy communication in the workplace, you'll have problems. Communication is powerful. And where you see this also very true is in the church. The church is supposed to be a place of healthy communication where we talk to one another in a loving way, where we care about one another, where we bear one another's burdens. But I think this gets really difficult when it comes to the church. Because see, when it comes to a lot of our relationships, we pick the people. We picked our spouse, most likely, right? Um, we picked maybe the job that we have or where we work. But when it comes to our church family, Although maybe we picked where we chose to attend, we didn't pick the people necessarily. They were picked by God, right? When they came to Jesus Christ and their sins were washed away, God says, yeah, I'm picking them too. Okay, so we have a group of people now that are all supposed to function and work together. And that's a challenge. Because in any church, in any place, you're going to have a congregation made up of all sorts of different people. People from different backgrounds, people from different nationalities, people who struggle with different sins, people from different parts of town, people with different amounts of money, different amounts of education, different skills, different attitudes, different you know, everything, right? The church is made up of all sorts of different people. But yet God says, okay, you all get together now and function and communicate wonderfully. You're thinking, how's that going to happen? Because I look around me and I say, well, hey, there's 200 people here today and I know we're all supposed to be friends, but I don't know if I would pick them on my own, right? No, you wouldn't admit that, but you understand what I'm saying. 
The people that make up a church might not be the people that we would have normally sought out. The people who grow to become our best friends in the church may have not been the people that we would have hung out with in high school. They might not be the people that we would go spend an afternoon with without Jesus Christ uniting us. So the church is made up of all sorts of different people, and the church is supposed to communicate. The church is supposed to love each other. We're supposed to talk, and how we talk is a reflection of our heart. So this morning, what I want us to do is we're going to break down a section of the Bible together. And it's a section of the Bible that maybe you haven't looked at in this way before. But my goal with this lesson is to talk about how we need to make sure that we change our heart, change how we view people, because if we view people differently, our communication with them will improve. Here's a passage of scripture I want us to look at. The book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, your Bible is divided up into two parts. Got an Old Testament, a New Testament. If you're reading from it on your phone, it's easier to find. But toward the middle of the New Testament, you have a lot of books that are actually letters. They're letters from preachers to churches. There was a church in the city of Colossae. The people who lived in Colossae are called Colossians. Okay? So the Apostle Paul, who was a preacher, he wrote a letter to this church in Colossae. This church is made up of Christians from all sorts of different backgrounds. Jesus has already died, resurrected, and ascended. And now this is a few decades later. Christianity is being spread. And churches are struggling with the same things that we struggle with. And sometimes they need corrective teaching. So what Paul does is he writes them this letter to encourage them and to correct some different issues. And in Colossians chapter 3, he addresses the issue of communication. Because the church is supposed to get along. The church is supposed to talk. They're supposed to communicate. So Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 1. And I'm actually going to walk through the first 17 verses of this book right here, of this chapter. So I'd like you to follow along with me. If you're a person who takes notes, feel free to take notes. But I want you to see how a passage of Scripture can flow and kind of you know, promote a, a unified idea throughout that passage. And also show you that, hey, this isn't Cliff's opinion. I'm just trying to present what the inspired apostle wrote here. So in Colossians chapter 3, and in verse 1, it begins, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He's talking to Christians. Christians are the people that have been raised up with Christ. So he says, therefore, since you have been raised up, since you have been saved. So he's talking to people like us, people who have been saved. He says, okay, since you have been saved, I want you to keep pushing forward, keep seeking the things that are Christ, keep living your life different, you know, from maybe the world. He says in verse 2, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he begins this section by saying, okay, church, you guys are saved. You're supposed to be different now. I, as Cliff Sabro today, should not be the same as Cliff Sabro 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and so on. I'm supposed to be different. When we come to Jesus Christ, we're supposed to change and be different. Now, that change is a lifetime, right? We constantly fall back into old sins. We constantly struggle with the same things. We constantly mess up. But we're trying to be different. I'm not trying to be Cliff Sabro the sinner anymore. I'm trying to be Cliff Sabro the saved. That's what he says right here. 
He says, look, you've been saved, and I want you to live like it. And then he gets really specific in verse 5 through 13. He gives them some specific areas where they can change. A lot of times, one of the first things you begin to see when someone comes to Jesus is they talk different. They live a little bit different. Hey, I notice you don't talk the way you used to talk. Yeah, I'm trying to clean up my words a bit. Hey, I notice you don't, you don't talk about people. You don't laugh at the same jokes. Well, I'm trying not to find humor in things that are ungodly. I'm trying not to gossip. I'm trying not to talk trash. I'm just trying to change, right? That's how we're supposed to be in Christ. So he goes on in verse 5. He says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. He says, look, change your life. Don't live the way you used to. Be different. Then verse 6, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Those sins will cost you your soul. I mean, he doesn't mix those words around. He lets you know that immorality, impurity, um, idolatry, all of that could send you to hell. He's pretty strong with those words. Then verse 7, he says, and in them you also once walked while you were living in them. He says, you used to do those things, but now that's not you anymore. You've changed. You're different now. He says, verse 8, though, he gets even more specific. He says, but now you also put them all aside. And then notice what he does. In verses 8, 9, and 10 here, he starts listing off some sins that they need to put away. And all of these sins that he mentions have to do with how they talked to one another. See, he's talking to Christians now. Christians, there's some sins that we struggle with maybe more than others. And maybe what the, some of the sins that destroy churches the most have to do with how we talk. Gossip, slander, lies, hurtful speech. Things like that will hurt the church. It'll hurt our families. It'll hurt our marriages. It'll hurt everything. But he's specifically talking to Christians here. He says, but now you also... Put them all aside. Get rid of them. And here's what he mentions. He says, put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. He says, don't talk the way you used to. Non-believers, they have no problem running their mouth. But you're not supposed to be like that. He says, so you don't do it. You're not cussing people out. You're not lying. You're not talking trash. You're not spreading lies. You're not gossiping and telling rumors and spreading slander. You don't do that. At least you're not supposed to. But apparently, these Christians here were struggling with that enough that Paul had to write them a letter and say, guys, you got to fix this. And let's think about this now. The church in Colossae would have been made up of all sorts of different people. It's in the center of, you know, of the Roman Empire at that time. They're in the area, area along the Mediterranean. It's a very diverse place. You'd have Jewish people, Gentile people. That right there, that's like the Montagues and the Capulets, the Crips and the Bloods, that kind of thing. They didn't get along, right? And yet they're supposed to get along. You had rich people. You had poor people. You had people who had owned slaves and people who were slaves probably. And yet they're all supposed to get along. And I imagine what was happening is that there was a lot of talking going on. A lot of talking about people, but not to people. A lot of lies, maybe slander, maybe negative speech, maybe hurtful speech. So Paul writes this and says, don't talk the way 
you used to. You're not supposed to live and talk like you did before you were saved. You're supposed to be different now. The one place that's supposed to be a safe space where we can talk to one another and know that people care and love us is supposed to be the church. But sometimes churches can be a hotbed for gossip, for rumors, for lying, for, for manipulation, for hurtful speech, for you know unkind words. And I'm not saying that that's an issue even, even here specifically, but I'll tell you that as a whole it happens, right? And he says, we're supposed to stop that. Get rid of those things. And then he goes on. He says in verse 12, he says, so as those who have been chosen of God, that's us, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. In the church, then, we don't do the bad talk. We talk the good talk. We're compassionate. We're kind. We're humble. We're forgiving. When someone says something that maybe rubs us the wrong way, we forgive. When we get a little bit angry, we take a deep breath. When someone needs some help, we're compassionate. When someone needs kindness, we show it. When we talk to each other, we do it with gentleness not harshness. I mean, I imagine that there was Christians in the first century that were very abrasive and rude to people. Especially imagine, maybe you're from a Jewish background, you grew up following God, and now you got a Gentile who used to worship idols, and he's got all sorts of crazy practices. I imagine there was a lot of turning up your nose, looking down at that person, thinking you're better than him. That's not how Christians talk. So he says, instead, be kind, be compassionate, be gentle, be loving, be patient, with one another, that's the attitude we're supposed to have in our speech in the church. And then he draws it into a conclusion in verse 14 when he says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. As Christians, we talk to people and the way we feel about them and the way we feel about people is supposed to be love. See, if we love everyone, we're going to talk to them with gentleness. I love my kids. You know, sometimes they're upset and they're freaking out about things that, that they shouldn't freak out about, especially when they're real little, and I'll take them there, and I'm not perfect father. I mess up all the time, but sometimes I'll be really loving and say, I know you feel bad. You know, we, we're gentle. We're kind. We're, it, to them, it's the end of the world that the computer mouse isn't working and they can't update their Minecraft. They're there, right? We're gentle. We're kind. We're loving. That's how Paul says we're supposed to be. When our brethren, when we're interacting with them, in our hearts, if there's love, we're going to talk to them nicely. If in our heart is love, we're not going to gossip. If in our heart is love, we're not going to trash talk. If in our heart is love, we're not going to insult. If in our heart is love, we're not going to discourage. And he says if we can do that, notice that word he uses there. He says it binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, I don't know a lot about music. I was a drummer, so I know when things are in sync or not, but I don't know if we call it harmonizing when you drum. But I, I know this idea that in music, that when all the pitches match up properly, when everybody's singing on the right tone, it's harmony. It sounds good. It, the, the sound tones, they overlap, and it's just wonderful. He says, if we can learn to view one another in love, 
Our voices will no longer be slanderous. We won't insult. They won't be hurtful. But instead, we'll have harmony. Which is neat because we use that kind of terminology today. When my kids or somebody isn't talking in a respectful way, I'll say, watch your tone. The tone, good or bad, can create or get away from harmony. Well, when Paul says here to harmonize, he's saying, watch your speech. Make sure you love one another because when you talk to each other and not about one another, and when we do that in love, we create harmony. There's harmonization among the believers. Now, he's not talking necessarily about music there and that idea. He's talking about harmony in the church. He's saying that if we can get along, if we can love one another, it's like beautiful music, right? That's what he says. Because look, let's go on. In verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ um, richly rule in your hearts, which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He says, look, church in Colossae, you guys are arguing, you're fighting, you're insulting, you're discouraging, change how you talk and you'll have harmony. Just like the harmony you have when you get together and you praise God. Instead of insulting one another, teach and admonishing each other in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. See, the harmony of the church is reflected in the idea of the harmony of our praise. Think about it. If we're all speaking trash about one another and insulting one another, we're not going to have harmony in our life. But yet we'll come and try to worship God with one voice. We'll try to all sing praises to God together. He says, that's not how it works. Instead, when we get along, when we love one another, it's just as if we're singing together. There's another phrase that we'll use. People talk about it often when it comes to romantic love, but they'll say that a couple makes beautiful music together. The idea is, they're so in sync, they're so in love that everything just lines up properly and there's harmony in that relationship. The church, when the church gets along, they make beautiful music together. Now, he makes this mention here of our singing and all of that here, but the singing is an illustration of the unity that the church is supposed to have. See, there's power in communication. And when we communicate properly the church will be healthy. And when the church is healthy, we love one another and we care about one another. And we'll see that in how we talk to each other. Because how we talk to others is a reflection of our heart. Do we care about people? Do we love them? Do we see them for who, how they truly are? Or do we look at them differently? I came across a quote I thought was powerful. It was, do you see through people or into people? When you love people, and care about people, and see people how God sees them, you're going to talk to them with kindness. You're going to speak to them with gentleness. You're not going to insult them. You're not going to gossip about them. But you'll speak to them in love because you begin to see people how God sees them. So our lesson this morning is simply this. We need to start seeing people the way God does. And when we do that, our speech will change. How we talk to people 
will be different. Not just in what we say, but how we say it. People can tell that you love them, that you care about them, and how you talk to them. Let's make sure that our tone is right. Let's make sure that our tone is godly because when we have a godly tone, we'll create harmony together and the church will be a glorious place in which God is lifted up and that people are encouraged. How we talk to others is a reflection of our heart. The lesson is yours this morning. We're going to sing an invitation song. That's just our custom as we close out our service. But if you're here this morning and you need the prayers of this church, you can come occupy one of these front rows up here and one of the elders will meet you and we can pray with you. If you've strayed away from the truth and you need to come back publicly, you need help, we want to help you. If you've never became a Christian, you want to become part of the body of Christ, the church in which you can have that harmony and that unity, we'll baptize you into Christ this morning. If you have a need, though, why don't you come? As together we stand and sing the invitation song together.